Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Big stories. Big guests. The big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Kimentana Samabakia, Kargego, Banino, 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 Nick, Banino, Well, I tell you, it was one of the great moments of the 2016 Stanley Cup Finals uh, and certainly uh, helped lift our next guest into some prominence, especially, by the way, in the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, of course, I was part of the Penguins' uh, Stanley Cup uh, victory that year. and Hart Ryan Singh was there for the, the Stanley Cup parade and, and everything. Uh, but it, it's certainly something unique uh, that, that uh, he's been a part of in creating Hockey Night in Canada in Punjabi. And the fulfillment uh, for him uh, of a childhood dream of becoming a hockey broadcaster and, and something that I think was, um, you know, maybe discouraged in a lot of ways uh, from, from people he grew up with uh, in small town Alberta. Uh, he's written about uh, his uh, childhood and, and growing up to, to uh, fulfill that dream of becoming a hockey broadcaster in his new book, One Game at a Time, My Journey from Small Town Alberta to Hockey's Biggest Stage, Hunter Ryan Singh is the host and play-by-play voice, as mentioned, of Hockey Night in Canada Punjabi, and joins us on the line here this afternoon. Arna Ryan, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Rob. Great to be here as well. Well, hey, let me just ask you, you were, um, you spent, I think, about a month, uh, am, I, am I right, uh, about a month inside the uh, the bubble, as it were? Yeah, in Edmonton, uh, with the with the hockey coverage with Sportsnet on the on the English side in the playoffs, uh, quite the experience is uh, eerie at first because yeah. uh, such few people in the arena, but you get used to it after a while. And a made-for-TV event that the NHL pulled off remarkably well. Uh, it's a, if you don't want if you want to get away from COVID, uh, the hockey bubble is a good place to be. Yeah, no kidding. So we, we, I guess then you were going through the testing just like everybody else, right? We All were. Uh, I was in a special scenario with the media where we had a separate entrance and separate area of the arena that we could be in. So I was still. I was in a little bubble outside the players' bubble. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, it's still a fascinating experience. To we were interacting with the players through kind of a Zoom call setup uh, on the from a different floor. But uh, when the games were being played, we were right there front and center, and it was as if they were just being played for the few of us that were there, a handful of us right there in the audience. Yeah, your thoughts on just, you know, that they were able to do this. I think when we first started hearing about this plan and all the steps along the way and everything that would have to go into this, there were a lot of people who said, hey, it looks, you know, it sounds good, but you're never going to be able to pull this off. And and they did. They did, and they used a lot of, uh, you know, in consultation with a lot of uh, people from the medical world. And, uh, and, and you know, the fact that the players were quarantining before, 
uh, even getting to uh, Edmonton or Toronto, the hub cities. And uh, you know, so there was a lot of that and a lot of protocols in place and just just a really a well-oiled machine in terms of how organized it was. And to be able to pull it off with such few people and I, I mean, these these not only the players, but everybody behind the scenes were away from their families and friends for a long, long time uh, to be able to do this. So uh, very triumphant uh uh, you know, time for for the NHL, uh, and one of the rare times where, and uh, you know, everyone has only positive things to say about the league. Yeah, and and just for you, you know, as you reflect on on this journey, and I mean, just I would imagine another one of those moments where you must think to yourself, if only eight year old Hunter Ryan could <laughs> could see me now, right, to, yeah. to envision getting to to this point. Well, and that's exactly it. And you you touched on it on your intro, the childhood dream. And, you know, I'm in Brooks, Alberta, uh, not very many visible minority or diversity in that time frame in the late 80s and the 90s. And, you know, kids are often asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would always say a hockey commentator and sometimes uh, would get a laughing response or uh, or also just discouragement saying, you know, there's no one that looks like you on TV. Uh, the chances for you to make it are slim to none. And uh, but th- thankfully, whenever I had, you know, a moment of discouragement, there was also something that kept me going as well that would happen. And, uh, you know, for example, being able to be on the radio station in Brooks for high school news and sports, I was like, if these guys can give me a shot, maybe somebody else will. And that's really the only reason why I decided to actually pursue it and go to broadcast school. And and eventually, uh, you know, it wasn't a smooth ride. I had to pay for my own flights uh, in the initial days and, and uh, you know, go above and beyond what a regular person would would normally have to do in that sort of situation. But I, at that point, I was, you know, foot in the door and it's like you, you're willing to do whatever it takes to, to make it uh, be full time and long term. Yeah, and it's interesting because you talk about this fascination in in the book, you know, from a very early age with the sport of hockey, and yet you you never actually got a chance to play. And and from what I, I can understand, what I read, you, you didn't really want to play, but yet you loved the sport. Yeah, well, it's just one of those things. My my parents came in the uh, '60s, and you know they were teachers in Brooks, now retired, and they didn't skate. Uh, but when you're born. In Alberta, and I was born in Wetaskiwin, grew up in Brooks, and the Oilers and the Flames were both uh, the the best teams in the league. And you're surrounded by Gretzky and over here Mike Vernon, Lanny McDonald, and and everything. I was immersed in the sport, and you know, especially when you're a, when you're a, a young child, and everybody around you is different, which was my situation in school in Brooks. Uh, you know, we spoke a different language at home, ate different food, listened to different music. You're trying to find that commonality between classmates and hockey was that literally the icebreaker for me. And I, I was the kid wearing the hockey jerseys to school and, and I'm trying to, you know, the hockey nut uh, who's trying to make every assignment and project possible about hockey. And it really, when I reflect back on it, it helped me create a bond between classmates and teachers that I wouldn't have been able to create had it not been for hockey. And so the obsession just continued to pretty extreme levels and uh, and then I knew because I wasn't uh, into skating early but I played a lot of ball hockey and I knew my hockey yeah. card collection and the, <laughs> my my dad being a PhD in math was worried I was making my brain into an encyclopedia of hockey what <laughs> exactly. was I going to do with it um, but yeah the the love and the obsession for the sport was that's where the the idea it came along to to try to become a, a hockey commentator, and so that was that's where the seeds were planted for that dream. 
You know, it's interesting too because I, I think you would be, uh, as I try to do the math in my head, like a third generation Canadian, right? And and so this is the country your parents grew up in, your grandparents grew up in, and and yet at times, as you say, maybe not feeling like you belong. There, there's a point yeah. in the book where you talk about going to India for the first time and and not feeling like you belong there either. What, what's, what was that like as a child and trying to find you know those roots and a, and a sense of purpose and belonging? Yeah. And so when my, you know, I was, my parents uh, weren't born here and they came in in the sixties. My great grandfather came in 1907. Uh, But, you know, in my childhood, I, I had several experiences, even growing up junior high, I would say throughout my life where you have to continually justify yourself as being Canadian. And I'm so patriotic. I love this country. I love the game. Uh, and, you know, I was the type of kid who had a Canada flag hanging from my bedroom window that was visible at the front of the house. I, if I reflect back on it, part of it was to do that. I was so patriotic, but part of it has to do with, had to do with I had to wear it on my sleeve because for an, I, I talk about one of these examples in the book, the specific one where in Brooks, a, a salesman came to our uh, home in the evening and uh, did his spiel. And I knew my dad wasn't going to buy it. So I just <laughs> said, thanks, but no, thanks. But then he well-intentioned, but still devastating to me, he said, well, no no worries. I just wanted to say welcome to Canada. And he walked off. And so to me, that was heartbreaking because it was, I had to process it and say, well, why is someone welcoming me to Canada when I'm Canadian? And and I realized that obviously it's because of how I look. And he made this with the turban and the beard and he made this uh, assumption that I'm new here. And it, it had hurt because I went back to my room and I was emotional because I looked at everything, the Gretzky shrine I had, the Canadian flags. It was around the time of uh, an Olympic Games and I was cheering on Canada so much. And, and so those types of moments, you know, you go to a hockey arena and you're called raghead, towelhead. And it, it sucks because, just sorry for to use that word, but it's just it's plain and simple. Mm-hmm. It's disheartening because I love the game and the country. And I here I am always having to try to say that actually my family's history in Canada might be longer than yours. Or So that learning even that family history was revolutionary for me. But you talk about going back to India. I went there and I my parents had taught me so much about our faith and our culture, heritage. And I went there and I saw my cousins wanting to be everything, you know, Western. And they were excited about McDonald's opening there. And they were trying to be as Western as possible. Whereas I was, my family and I were trying to find this balance in Canada of being proud Canadians, but also maintaining our language and heritage as as well. And that's what I think the beauty of Canada is. So trying to be comfortable in my own skin was something that took a while for me to do uh, as a student, but then also eventually as a broadcaster too. Yeah, and you know, there's obviously a a very belated conversation happening around hockey and and diversity and, and just kind of the whiteness of the sport, which I think as you allude to, and part of that is overt, and part of it is is subconscious at some level, but it feels like that at least there's an acknowledgement of that and, and things are starting to change. What, what's your sense of, of how significant this is and, and how impactful this conversation is? Well, you know, Rob, it's, I, it's important that we talk about it because the only way we can move further in, in progress in society is if we communicate with each other what our experiences have been. I know there's a sentiment out there that people say, just shut up and talk about hockey. We don't want to be marrying politics and sport together. We're watching sports mm-hmm. for an escape. 
But the fact of the matter is this isn't politics. This is just about a basic respect for one another. And it's really frustrating that we, we it's 2020 and we continue to have this problem where um, there's divisions in society just based on how we look. And, and we still have to continue to to fight that in, in for what's right. And, and I, that's why I feel that, you know, one of the things that really gives me hope about the sports world is that hockey, for example, is, you know, you can say better late than never in terms of uh, their stand on everything, but they're still the teams, the players, the league is taking a stand while at the risk of alienating a certain part of the fan base who doesn't want to hear any of this. But, but it is important because it's no longer just a, a fight or a stand for people of color to take. I think players all around the league are finally realizing too that this is something everybody has to take a stand on and it can't just be diverse people who are always standing up and and, and you know it's forced us to have a conversation in North America especially specific to Canada as to okay well who do we define as as a Canadian and I think what the beauty in that is you take five Canadians at random and you put them together and they will all look different they will all sound different and they will all have a different story of how they came to Canada and we're we're all a country of immigrants and I think if we look at it from a compassionate level and wear other people's shoes look at it through their lens we'll be able to understand where everybody's coming from and you know the divisions and the hatred will dissipate but the only way it's going to happen is if we continue to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the impact of, of the hockey net in Canada, Punjabi, and obviously, you know, we, we played the clip from 2016, and then that kind of took on a whole life of its own, uh, and, and it's a big part of your story, but just, you know, the, the idea of bringing this game to, to you know, to, to other markets and, and other audiences, and, you know, and, and the impact of that, what's your sense of, of what it's meant to, to you and, and, you know, to, to those who watch this? Yeah, definitely it is. You know, there's so many facets to that. I I look back and you read on history when when hockey was first broadcast on television in the 60s and 70s, you saw families in Canada coming together, generations sitting in their homes on Saturday nights watching the game together. And that's what Hockey Night Punjabi did for the South Asian community is um, united generations. It also sparked a whole generation of, uh, of, of families to put their children in the sport. That's something hockey needs big time in terms of a grassroots level push to grow the sport. Uh, and so there's so many facets like that. We've had some really heartwarming stories from viewers who said, you know, hockey being that water cooler topic at work and because of the show, they've become fans. And so now they, they're able to participate in those uh, conversations at work about last night's game. So uh, it's, you know, it was really, it became in Instead of being a want, it's a need, and, and people have really uh, grown to love the show. We have an enthusiastic style and a fun, entertaining style yeah. of calling the game as well. Um, and and I think it just you know it shows hockey's power to unite. Uh, this uh, even my story and the book, you know, it resonates with so many people of, uh, from different communities. My editor on the book is from Korean Korean descent. He's from Oshawa, and for him, it was the same thing. Had it not been for hockey, he would have had a much different experience. And and so I think it's a positive message that the world needs right now through the lens of uh, uh, diversity, through the lens of uh, of a hockey broadcaster, and, and all those themes. You know, just everything going on in the world. Hockey Night Punjabi, the book. This is all so much more timely now than it has ever been before because of everything we're watching going on in the world. What about your parents? 
They must be big fans, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, and it's really cool. Like my parents are in their early 80s. My mom is able to recognize coaches and GMs and players, and she knows the storylines. She before before she had her grandkids come along, uh, she never missed a game, and it, it's coming all full circle. Rob, my kids are. Uh, you know, emulating the players with their mini hockey sticks. And then yes. they're also doing the intermission interviews. They're doing it in two languages, which is beautiful to see. And, and, and I, you know, they're not going to have to face that battle that, uh, you know, that this, this line is, is, is very impossible for them to cross. Like they have examples and that's why representation is important. Even when my daughter saw women participate in the NHL all-star game for the first time a couple of years back. She's five now. And I just, I won't ever forget how much her face lit up and she realized that girls were also uh, playing hockey and were on that national level there at the all-star game and stuff. So it it just, it's all coming full circle. And and as far as the book's concerned, I'm not sure my parents have ever been more proud, even out of anything I've accomplished in the past, because I was able to, uh, tell their story too of when they came here in the 60s and they're vegetarians and they couldn't even find lentils in Alberta and you know their first experience with Halloween and racism that they went through and the struggles and challenges so it was really special for me able to to share their story but the, the it's a positive message too we look back so fondly on the town of Brooks and the people in Brooks too despite you know having um, moments of times where it was tough but for the for the majority of it it was you know people were very friendly and 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 helpful as well but it's you know it's all part of the story and 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 that's why it's important to talk about yeah it is quite a story congrats uh, on all the success and certainly on this book it is called one game at a time my journey from small town alberta to hockey's biggest stage Arnold ryan singh great talking to you here today thanks so much for making some time for us yeah thank you rob appreciate it all the best uh there he is Arnold ryan singh uh the book is called one game at a time of course i host and uh, play-by-play voice of hockey night punjabi and um yeah i mean obviously you know the role he's played in in, in having that, that figure visible for people who were like him growing up uh, and, and not seeing that represented uh, in the sport or, or on, the, on the screen. Um, so quite a journey for him. Okay, we'll take a break here. 403-974-8255 is our number here, 974-TALK. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.